The following podcast is recorded and produced by the Podcast Precinct in affiliation with the network at BICBP-radio.com. The Podcast Precinct. Consistency. Creativity. Culture. to a brand new episode of Eat, Sleep, List. Your home for list making right here on the network at BICBP-radio.com. My name is Matt Johnson, one of your hosts, and today I am joined by my... Uh, he's still got curly hair. It's not all over like it used to be, but no. he's a beautiful man, and I love him very much. Happy one-year wedding anniversary to my good friend, uh, Mr. Daniel Torres. Thank Daniel, you, how are you? Good. I'm good. I uh, can't believe it's been a year already. It went by fast. It, it means we've been doing the show for over a year now. It means that I've been married for over a year now. It means that I blinked and this year went by. There, there are so many things involved. Although, I, so I have a story for you off the top. Go ahead, um, yeah. Because, you know, I turned 30 recently. You did. And I just recently, uh, over the weekend, had my first, like, oh, my God, they make these stronger than they used to when they were my age <laughs> moment. So this is what happened. So I'm between shows on Saturday, and we were going to dinner after, too. Yes. So I'm already tired out. The first one takes a lot out of you. My friend uh, was going to the store, so he was getting an energy drink. I asked him to pick me up one. He said, yeah, I got you. No problem. Don't worry about it. So he came back, and he brought me one of those Celsius energy drinks. Have you had one of these yet? Seltzer energy drinks? It, it, no, the, it's, like, it's called Celsius, but it's like... It's, oh, wait. I think I did. Yeah. So it's almost like a seltzer one. Yeah. Dude. I had that. I drank it. I'm used to like Red Bull and Monster and stuff. I just so I drank this thing in like 15 minutes, <laughs> dude. I was wired, <laughs> absolutely wired, and like I'm going on stage. Never felt. The thing keeps getting unplugged. I'm sorry. No, you're good. Uh, I was going on stage like I feel so alive, and I've never felt this alive in my entire <laughs> life because of like that. I've never, dude. My first Red Bull, I didn't feel like that. I feel like I've consumed all different energy drinks ever since, and now I'm like I may have to stay away from this now because dangerous. Yeah, this is my new favorite right now. It's strawberry ultra strawberry dreams. It came out like a couple weeks good. ago. Yeah, it's delicious. See, those I could do because I know how strong they are. Yes, but like one of these, I don't know. It was like drinking a lithium battery, dude. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. That's always healthy. Uh, but no, I totally off topic. But I am so excited to be here. I'm excited for our list today. Um, for our guest today too, because Absolutely. it's one of my favorite people to have on the show, and Ye- I know one of yours too. Yes, no, it's been a like I said previously, it's been a couple a uh, couple months we've had him on, but uh, everybody, Tice is back. Hey, what's up, Tice? How you doing, buddy? I'm all right. <laughs> <laughs> we are going back to the animal kingdom. Last time we had Tice on, we went into uh, turning points in world history, which I. Mm-hmm. I loved because I, you know, being 
U.S. history, you know, or not sorry, that's not U.S. history, history buffs in general, that's a really fun one. And we all had a, kind of our different uh, perspectives and how we, we, we liken the things, and it was a good time. And um, But Tice is back. He wanted to go back to the animal kingdom. All right, he had some fun ones. You being involved in the world of science so heavily, mm-hmm. um, select this one, what what made you, because you said you had one. You had one in mind. You obviously listened a bunch. You knew that we hadn't done it. Um, you just honed in on it. What made you want to do this, uh, what we got today? Uh, I, it's just, this is, there's a ton of this stuff in my brain. So it's just, <laughs> it's an easy one for me. To that's do. That, honestly, that's how we pick our episode topics anyways. Yep. Typically, uh, we're just all ready to go. So, um, so yeah, so today we're doing, uh, animal adaptations. And at first when he sent me this, I was like, like Free Willy, uh, like Airbud, <laughs> and then I'm like, oh wait, a- evolutionary ones. I'm like, this is a really, this is a really cool one. I when making the list, I took looked at it as a perspective of man, these would be some cool just adaptations to have, I guess, as a human, you know, or maybe some special powers. Uh, I guess it, looking through like a nerdy superhero context, but uh, but that's what we are doing today. Our top ten animal evolutionary adaptations. Are you guys ready to make a list? I am. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this was a fun one to put together. I'm ready. So for it. much fun. I had uh, had had trouble uh, narrowing it down, but very very excited. Tice, you are our guest today. Uh, Why don't you kick us off with your number ten? All right, my number ten is the punch of the peacock mantis shrimp. I don't know if anybody does. Do you guys know what the mantis shrimp is? I feel like I've eaten one before. Maybe. Pro- probably not. Probably not. <laughs> I've had a lot of shrimp in my day. So. Um, they're technically not a shrimp. They kind of look like one. They're, I mean, they're a crustacean. But uh, so with the peacock mantis shrimp, then instead of having claws, they have like clubs. Okay, hmm. I'm gonna so, Google this thing right yeah, now. Yeah. So with these clubs, they can deliver a punch, for lack of a better word. Definitely never eaten one of these. <laughs> these are beautiful looking things. Yeah, you'll find Great. sometimes if you do like live, like live rock aquarium stuff, wow. they'll just like be in your live rock so you'll have a mantis shrimp in there and they can like they can do some damage because so with these clubs on these modified uh forelimbs these these clubs they can deliver a punch it's over 50 miles an hour and it's like acceleration similar to a 22 caliber bullet and delivers about what's it said 1,500 newtons of force. So that's like 340 pounds of force. Damn. And they're they're not super big either. And so with this... And at the speed that the punch happens at, it creates like a bubble that's like a super hot like bubble. And it's like... Dude, when, that's cool as hell. When the bubble <laughs> pops, it creates a little flash. So, yeah. That's so cool. Why isn't this a Pokemon? <laughs> This is like Ant Man like level stuff, like it, just little, yeah. but it so it could if it wanted to, it could punch a human and just I mean it could like split your fingernail. I mean it's still, but that's I, that's it's so not gonna cool. kill you. Yeah. That's such a cool thing though. Like could you imagine if something larger had that same no. force of it? Like that that would be crazy. Th- there's another animal on my list where it's like if it was human proportion, it's insane. The, you know, when you scale things up, it's insane. Wow. I've never heard... Okay. So I've heard of it, 
the peacockness on this thing is really cool. Just visibly, it's a beautiful animal. Yeah, they can. So, like, they have more color receptors in their eyes than humans do, so they can see a light, uh, a larger range of light than we can. Wow! So, very cool. See, this is why I like having Tyson, because especially with these episodes, because this is, it's it's out of my wheelhouse in a sense. But I, I, I do love the learning aspect oh, of it. I do love it. I mean, this thing is cool. I've had, you know. Really like, you can, you can buy them, too. It's, it's oh, really? wild, yeah. That was one of the things when I was uh, was searching it. It was like a peacock manager for, for sale. sale. Yeah. yeah. That was like one of the first. Shopping. Or, yeah. Oh, my God. They're only $33 at Walmart. And you get free shipping? There's salt water, though, so that's, that's uh, the thing. See, you're yeah. so smart. My stupid brain, like, pictures a scenario when there are these, like, fish in the water, and one of them's, like, trying to be tough and pick a fight, and it sees yeah. that, and, oh, I'll go get that guy, and it just, like, goes and just slaps him real quick. <laughs> fish just floats to the surface. <laughs> Very good, Tice. That's a great one to kick us off. Uh, as per usual, mine seem... Uh, Vanilla as heck compared to yours, but my my number one's pretty vanilla. I would okay. think so. Yeah. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, Danny boy, you are up. Uh, what do you got for your number ten? I'm going to kick it off um, with kind of a basic one, but we've talked about this in the past. Since one of my favorite animals, so I like horns on a lot of different animals. Like I think mm-hmm. it's a really really cool appendage to have, but. The rhino's horn is just, like, so cool to me. The fact that it's made out of ivory, how hard, mm-hmm. like, the trunk is if you've ever felt one yeah. before yeah. or felt something to the equivalency. I just think that's the coolest way an animal has adapted that I've ever seen. It has such a unique look to it, and just the fact that rhinos are, like, the tanks of nature makes it... <laughs> even more memorable for that fact. There are some cool things like I know goats can potentially grow up to eight horns. I know I read that somewhere <laughs> where they just have that built in. Uh but yeah, there's something about a rhinoceros horn for me and I would love to just live in that body for a day and just feel what that's like. I think it's the coolest thing. It it is a really cool animal. Um you know, it's it's always shown with as powerful right strong but man to have that horn and the kind of damage you could do i forever un, unfortunately for for the uh for the sake of <laughs> rhinos um i ace ventura oh yeah <laughs> when he's crawling out of the rhino's ass uh. it'll always be my favorite like rhino memory <laughs> ever <laughs> i mean it's it's definitely a lot better than the my paul giamatti rhino uh memory and amazing spider-man oh, yeah. too but yeah that was awful i <laughs> <laughs> so bad that was one of my like early movie childhood memories oh. is that so that's not an adaptation, I don't think. Uh, uh, just birthing humans out of your anus. But Jim Carrey's the best. He's so good. So good. All right. Very good. That is a solid number 10. Thank you. Um, I'm going, I said my list is really, really vanilla. Um, I'm going to go to the most vanilla, vanilla-iest. It's not even French vanilla. It's just vanilla. Um, I'm going to go Gills. And I was wondering at first, because you gave like a explanation, like, oh, it could be something as simple as, you know, flying or wings or something. Yeah. And I was like, so I'm going to go with gills. And I was still on the fence. I'm like, is that 
good enough. But then somebody, I, I read a quote on while Googling, um, thank you, Google, that lungs are a human uh, or an adaptation to living on land, mm-hmm. which I was like, oh, wow, okay. Um, so I went with the gills because if you've been listening to this show, I'm a water guy. I'd love to be able to swim and breathe underwater and just be able to just kind of go and do what I got. You know what I mean? Just hang out, Aquaman um, type stuff. It's my favorite, you know, just just part of nature is just water um, and being around it. Um, So I'm going to go with gills for this one. Obviously, every single creature underwater has gills. Um, Right? Most got to be most of them at least. I mean, most if you're a mammal, you, you don't. But that's yeah, that's different. Fair, know. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, uh, I'm gonna go with gills for my number ten. Excellent. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, Tice, what do you got for number nine? Uh, my number nine is I don't know how to I, I I call this the tiger beetle super speed. So tiger beetle, it's the for its body size, it's the fastest an- living animal. So on average, it can sprint uh 5.5 miles per hour and that's it says 171 body lengths per second so if you were a six foot tall human you'd be running a speed of 720 miles per hour damn so they, they move so fast that when they're running they can't see like their eyes can't capture light fast enough so oh. it's kind of like a blur so they're like Instead of like making one long sprint to their prey, they like sprint and stop and sprint and stop. So huh. yeah, wow, just, that's wow. I'm trying to. So how many of their body lengths? I'm sorry, 170, uh, 171. Wow. And how big are they typically? Um, maybe like two, like a like an inch or so. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> that's why. I can't imagine that's so much speed it can't even handle yeah. its own power. No, yeah, it's like, yeah, your your brain can't take in enough information, so you're just seeing blur, and then when you stop, everything comes back. That's wild. That's like it's. I mean, that's a legit superpower right there. Yeah, you think about it. Um, it's always so cool to figure. Like, I is there really any way to 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 figure out like. I, I don't know if this is a thing, but to like go back and figure out when or how or why the I mean obviously the why is there right it, it would predatory you know for yeah. predatory for eating but like is there any way to trace like back to when something like this like first I, occurred? Uh, I mean you can trace back like the lineage of when this species split off from other species. But That's probably as, the best way. Yeah. As to when certain, I mean, for, like, morphological features, like anatomy and stuff, yeah, you can tell that, like, based on fossil record okay. stuff. But for invertebrates, it's a little harder since they don't, I mean, they leave. They can leave behind impressions and things. Yeah. Since they have a, a exoskeleton instead of an endoskeleton like we do, and it's, you know, not as uh, preservable as ours. So. Right. Okay, that is that is really cool. I don't know. Uh, it's a beetle. Yeah, it's uh, so like the one that I'm talking about is the Australian tiger beetle. Like they're they're different tiger beetles that are they're always they're like they're not as fast as like the Australian one, but they can still move at these incredible speeds. Of course, it's something in Australia. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> 
That's always scary. All right. Very good. Very good. Uh, Dan, what do you got for number nine? My number nine, I am going to go with um, Shark Teeth. Just the fact mm-hmm. that they're in the rows the way they are, I think that they're two dangerous animals right off the bat. But I think that sharks uh, have a reputation for a reason, like absolutely for a reason. And the fact that th- they have so many rows of teeth that are designed to like pop out too. Yeah, they can just constantly be. regrow. Yeah, yeah, they can just constantly regrow teeth. That's terrifying. Yeah. So you, you can't even get rid of it that way at all. It's just going to keep regrowing the things that make it the most mm-hmm. dangerous. And for for something to be called the ultimate predator, you really need to have something like that to back it up. Because this thing is just going to tear through you, especially great white teeth. Like, that's going to really, really... I know some sharks have some strange arrangements in their teeth. So, like... um the frilled shark kind of has like these weird instead of having like a regular jaw it kind of has like strips of teeth so it kind of looks like a i don't know how to explain it you'd have to look at a picture of it what's it called a frilled shark frilled shark yeah i'm looking at it right now because i think that those adaptations no matter what are so cool oh yeah my phone's listening to me because it popped up immediately (laughs) Typed in F and it was like, oh, oh wow, that's that's different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Str- yeah, see oh, how its wow. teeth are. Yeah. yeah, they're almost like in strip. Like, yeah, and then it, it's it grows in the same principle as like a like a great white. You know how they have the rows of teeth, but the rows are in different. That's orientations. Horrifying. Yeah. Wow. What what is the reasoning for this adaptation? I apologize. Uh, do do we know? <sighs> I. Off the top of my head, I don't okay. know, but yeah. Wow. I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, see, and it's those I think they're exact deep reasons. sea, so they're that's another reason why they're so strange. Yeah, sense, yeah. Oh my god, but like the things at the bottom of the ocean freak me out the most. Yeah, <laughs> I have I have something on my list that's you know relates to that. So wonderful, gosh. can't wait for that one. Ooh, not uh, not for reasons like it's not going to be interesting. Reasons like I'm not going to be able to sleep tonight. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I've always been very very fascinated with deep sea, Me deep too. sea stuff because mm-hmm. right, it probably hasn't been explored all that well, right? No, it's not like a- I read something that it's like sixty percent of the Earth's surface is like deep sea. So, and it's. <laughs> What was, I, I can't remember. I have it written. We probably down. don't even have a way to really do it, right? With all the water pressure? No, like at pressure and temperature because it's not. Oh, it's probably real cold. It's not enough. Yeah. Yeah. We don't want to be playing with water pressure again anytime no, soon. No, I don't even want to know what the hell's under there. Yeah. I really don't. That's insane that there's a whole, probably a whole ecosystem that we have. That even, we'll we can't know. even touch. Yeah. yeah. We Crazy. can't even touch. Crazy. All right. Excellent, gentlemen. My number nine, I'm going to go with. Uh, I'm going to go with, let's go with the puffer fish puff. <laughs> That's a good one. I like how I, I always think that, um, you know, really neat. These pretty regular, adorable looking fish, I guess. And they just, when they're threatened, they just puff up. And if I'm not mistaken, they, if they, there's like a toxin, right? There's yeah, like a some, neurotoxin. Are, some are venomous, yeah. yeah. Some can be venomous. Um, my earliest trauma with pufferfish goes to Crash Bandicoot 3 Warp <laughs> when you're on the underwater level. And if you get too close, or it, they, they'll puff up and get you. But, it, I mean, 
it's it's really neat because it's it's just such a slim looking fish. Yeah. But when they expand, they're massive. Like, and it's ah, oh, it's it's really it's it's really cool. They got to stretch their muscles. Like every little bit about them gets gets stretched out. It's fascinating that an animal can do that. Yeah, I wish I could puff myself out and puff myself back in. That'd be pretty convenient. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. I'm very curious. Like, what would their predators be? Just a larger. Like a shark, whale, just whatever's kind of just scooping them up. Yeah, I, I'm not entirely sure. Okay. Um, yeah, I keep putting you on the spot. That's okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, my my wheelhouse is more. It'll, it'll show up. It's more like reptiles and gotcha, stuff. Gotcha, so, gotcha. Yeah, fair. No, it's just like uh, like why would you want to eat something like this? That would that'll puff up. I mean, some some animals. Yeah, some animals are immune to you know certain toxins. That's and true. Stuff, so it's that's not, true. Yeah. Okay. It's going to be hard to pass, though, that's for sure. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is for I sure. I mean, there is, you know, fugu, right? The the sushi from the puffer fish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's right. Have I ever had that? I'm a sushi guide, too. I probably I, haven't had that. No. <laughs> I would know. Um, probably super expensive. I would Even assume, more expensive yeah, than normal sushi of, Yeah, is. because of the preparation and right. stuff. Yeah. One of these days, I'm going to get you. All right, now on to our number eight. So my number eight is, uh, I guess you could say cephalopod camouflage, but I I, I picked the cuttlefish camouflage because uh, I don't know if you've ever seen a cuttlefish. Uh, they're really good at changing their color and their the texture of their skin quickly, and they can match like complex patterns, like zigzag patterns and stuff. Despite their inability to perceive color, they can... <laughs> match their surrounding environment Which, so yeah and like sometimes there are certain species of cuttlefish that mimic so as to to hunt they mimic the uh like they mimic crabs so they can get closer to crabs like if they're if they prey on crabs like they'll they'll mimic like hermit crabs in, in terms of their color and their shape a little bit to get close to their prey and then Pounce on them. That's crazy. That's wild. Yeah, I remember heard of uh, again. Not keep bringing up freaking superhero movies, but uh, in Age of Ultron, they mentioned cuttlefish. Yeah, yeah. They, I mean, they have these like um, their specialized cells called chromatophores, and that's what gives them their ability to change color. Okay, like that. Yeah. So, so is that as as far as mimicking their their their, their prey? Is that is just is it the color change or color they... change in like the shape a little? Like I was going to ask, the shape is since, interesting since like a cephalopod is so like spongy. It's like yeah. they're since they don't have you know an internal skeleton, they only have like the only limiting factor is the the beak. So okay. like uh, like an octopus can fit through a hole. As long as it's the same size or bigger than its beak. Yeah. So, like, it's super malleable body, so they can, like, change their, like, the way their uh, tentacles are and, like, the shape of their body and the color to make, like, to kind of look like a crab. It's so cool. Yeah. That is really neat. Yeah, I was I was tempted to put, I have another um, creature on here that's, Kind of like that. A lot of the same, uh, I will call them adaptations, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that's I almost put the cuttlefish on. I was really close to. 
Um, very good. Dan, your number eight, bud. I'm going to go with a stinger for my number eight, but I'm going to go specifically with the scorpion stinger, with it being the scorpion uh, tail. Yeah. I think that's one of the uh, most interesting features on an insect that I've ever seen in my life. Just the fact that it's walking around and it just has this deadly thing on its back mm-hmm. it can whip around. Um the fact that it's so poisonous and not only do you get that hook, but you get a poison with it. I can only imagine if something like we've been talking about this episode, if something was bigger yeah. and had that appendage, like the kind of damage it could cause. Like if it was deer size and you saw that thing in the woods, that thing would would be hunting everything. Oh, down. yeah. It's, it would be the number one predator. It's horrifying. Yeah. It's horrifying to think about. And it's it, that's why it's the concept has been used in so much media, too. Like, um, Doom, one of the like things you see right off the bat all the time is those scorpion things that you have to blast. Resident uh, Evil Zero, the very, very first boss, is a giant scorp- like zombie, like T-virus infested scorpion yeah on a, and on a train it's very very tight and you have like the best weapon you have is a hunting rifle because it's like it's armored and obviously if it gets you you're you're pretty done right yeah so but yeah it i mean it's it it is it is used a lot in mm. uh in, in media scorpion uh from mortal Kombat. i don't know why i said it like that uh his animality actually at first it wasn't a scorpion for some reason but eventually it would be he just turned into a scorpion and just just Grabbed the legs with the pincer, and then the upper torso with his with his with the stinger, and then just ripped in half. Ah, so good, terrifying though. Love it. Yeah, <laughs> that's a really that's a really neat one. There's a lot of little stinger ones. I didn't even think I didn't even think about sting like stinging animals, yeah. hornets, bees, uh, and I'm sure a whole host of other things too. Yeah, um, it's interesting. I just find it everything so fascinating when it comes to certain insects, yeah, and yeah. I think the scorpions are one of the most fascinating ones out there. It's, yeah, no, they're really cool. So very good. Uh, my number eight. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna use the one I said I have, like Tice. I'm gonna go with the octopus. Uh, their camouflage. Yeah, I've uh, when I went to Niagara, they have the Niagara Aquarium, mm-hmm. and I think it's horrible that this thing is in such a tight little structure but i they're like oh that we have an octopus display and i'm looking i'm like where is this thing where is this thing and then i finally noticed it 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 took me like a minute but it was just blending in with its yeah. rock-like structure um octopus are some of the most uh, probably one of the most intelligent creatures out there yeah. too um they actually have on security camera uh, Niagara Aquarium, that this thing would come up and out of its out of its structure, its display area, go into one of the fish aquarium areas, eat from the, there, and then go back before people got like people showed up. Like that's wow. how it would feed. Um, very squishy. Yeah. All right, we've seen them like navigate or squeeze themselves through very very tight areas. Um, you know, and, and like boats, I've seen that. Like, I, I watched a video where one of them ended up on a boat, and he just squeezed itself yeah. through this very, very tight opening. Um, probably one of the most adaptable creatures ever. It's very, very alien-like. It's creepy as heck um, to watch these things maneuver around. 
But um, they are very, very intelligent. But the reason I had picked it was because the the texture changing mm-hmm. uh, of the skin, and of course, this the the regular camouflage. It is uh, um, really, really good. Yeah, it, it's a it's a pretty cool animal uh, creature. Uh, honestly, it's been you know again another thing that's been put into pop culture many, many a times because. Um, uh, because of some of those, just the intelligence, some of those, you know, the the eight arms and, and and so much more. There's been rumors of, I mean, well, it's more so giant squid, but mm-hmm. you know, people f- have feared and mythologized. And it's probably not a word, uh, you know, like a giant octopus attacking, um, almost a kraken in a sense. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm going to go. The octopus is uh, camouflage techniques. There Excellent for my number eight. Um, Tice, you're number seven, bud. All right. My number seven is uh, brood parasitism. And this is so there is the common cuckoo. So, like a cuckoo bird. Yeah. Um, the way they lay their eggs is very interesting. They have, so they will fly to a nest of a different species. And uh, most of the time, for uh, certain populations of cuckoo birds, they have uh, a certain host species that they. Uh, lay their eggs in the nest. Um, they will lay their egg in the nest, and it will. The color of the egg will kind of match the color of the eggs of the host species. It'll be bigger, but so once this hatches, um, and it hatches at a uh, incubation time of the cuckoo bird is less than its host species. So when it hatches, the baby bird has this kind of, like, automatic reflex to, like, start pushing the other eggs out of the nest. Huh. It's crazy. Yeah, and then it's it will be, and if it doesn't do that, it's, like, bigger and louder than the other bird, the other chicks in the nest, so it will, like, um, the mother bird, the host mother bird will automatically start to go feed that, and then it gets crazy to the point where you'll see, like, a big a big bird sitting in this tiny little nest and a tiny little bird is feeding it. Mm-hmm. And there's like a quote, un, like air quotes, evolutionary arms race between the host species and the cuckoo bird. Yeah. To where like sometimes the host species can pick out uh, a parasitic egg and throw it out of the, the nest. Um, and then some cuckoo birds have evolved where when they hatch, they have little, hooks on their beaks to where they can like puncture the eggs of their host siblings wow yeah yeah parasites have always been very interesting to me um there was the the one it's like a i think it was in a fish it replaced the tongue uh yeah they're isopods that they're like little crustaceans so like a pill bug is an isopod but it's a marine version of that and they, they, yeah, they replace the tongue of a fish and they, you know, feed off of that. It's crazy. It's scary yeah. as heck. I, I remember um, it was either in science that I learned about these birds or on nature because I used to mm-hmm. watch nature on PBS yeah. like every single week. And when I first learned about it, it's almost like it almost makes you sick a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That these things instinctively just are these little assassins yeah. almost. It's it's wild. It's wild to. I'm glad you reminded me about these. You have to be. I mean, as a parasite, you, you know. Um, I mean, I guess cunning, very cunning in a way. Yeah. 
some of them, because um, you just some of these animals they just don't even see it coming. Mm-hmm. Man, Ugh. Ugh. scary stuff. Scary stuff. Uh, very good. All right, Dan, you're number seven. Uh, let's go with another basic one here. I feel like I've already named a bunch of Spider-Man villains anyway, so <laughs> I'm going to put webbing on here. Okay, um, another insect one that um, I very much have. I think spider webs are so cool. Um, generally, just watching them being spun. I have uh, a pact with my spiders at home that as long as I don't see them, like, and we're good during the day, they can like leave the webs up. But like, <laughs> there there was one in particular that lived in my car mirror forever, and I never saw her. But she would build a web every night. And I'd be like, "Girl, you gotta keep it on the other side. You can't have them right where my window is, or I'm gonna have to <laughs> knock it down every time." Uh, I think that's such a beautiful thing that the ability to just spin a web, uh, something that's so typically geometrically sound, yes. right? These things are usually woven so beautifully and so well. And the fact that that's like their home and their hunting mechanism, too, in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, I think is so, so, so cool. And they, one big reason I don't kill them is because they protect so many plants. They protect tons of plants doing that. They'll set up their homes there, yeah. won't bother the plant, and they'll just take all the aphids and stuff off of it and anything that can harm the plant. Usually it takes care of. They're really, really good for gardens. And I've heard, yeah. Yeah. And just the strength of the webs, too, compared to them. Like, the fact that that's coming out of your, like, abdomen, in a sense, mm-hmm. is, I, I think that's a wild, wild uh, thing for any animal to be able to do. Oh, do you remember a couple years ago? Oh, probably more than a couple years ago. But they had all those, uh, they were like spider memes. It was like a cute little spider. And it was like, oh, I ate all the mosquitoes. for why? Where's that paper coming? Where, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, it was it really put things in perspective. They're, so, I mean, they're they're gross looking. Nobody wants a whole fleet of spiders, but there's like a. I don't think people realize the symbiotic relationship between humans and a lot of different just household creatures that we're so ready to just mm-hmm. kill. Yeah, and just as soon as we can. Don't get me wrong. Like tarantulas and black widows can fuck right off. Like, <laughs> yeah. They they yeah. they. If I see one of those things in my house, I'm either swinging or just getting out of the house and calling animal control. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it, it's it's really beautiful, the things that they can do. For sure. They're such an interesting creature. They are. They they really are. So, all right. Very good. Very good. Did not expect to see spiders on here, spider webbing, but I'm really happy because being a Spider-Man guy, got to love it. All right. My number seven, I'm going to go with, um, I'm going to go with the elephant trunk. All right, they use it for a variety of different things, whether it's swinging it around for, um, I would imagine, self defense in some cases, mm-hmm. uh, but mostly for like drinking, um, just because the way that they're shaped, you know, they legit just shovel water into their mouth, which I think is really cool. Um, you know, the old myth that they, you know, in, in, in cartoons that they used to just straight up just drink, like just suck it up through their nose. And you actually, people actually believed it. Um, I was a sucker for it, but I think it's just really neat. They just, you know, they they they're, the way that their body is proportioned, um, that they just use it. They 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 shovel water into their own mouth, and uh, 
Always found that pretty cool. There's a couple other neat adaptations that elephants have, too. I don't know if you guys have any on your list. No. Um, I I believe the big ears are something for heat uh, for yeah. mm-hmm. Dis, mm-hmm. Uh, displacing heat yeah uh, which is really neat and uh, you know obviously I'm sure there's a there's a few more but the, that was elephants are really cool but yeah I was uh, the, the the idea to just shovel water into your mouth I actually find myself doing that sometimes like I, I feel like I quench my thirst better not that I have a trunk but if I just get my hand and just like yeah I mean that's it's basically another appendage that they yeah. use for feeling it like they, they'll feel things out with their trunk too and they'll like and not just water but like that's how they grab you know brush and stuff to bring Branches. it into their mouth right yeah. right that's how they bathe themselves yeah that is yeah. true that is true because they're they're herbivores so mm-hmm. um so yeah that makes sense so it's a variety of different uses for the trunk but um but yeah that is my number seven elephants that are carnivores would be terrifying <laughs> i had so <laughs> resident evil game um, they did. They Five. had a zombie. It, old, I think they did it. But Resident Evil Outbreak File Two. Okay. They had the zombie. They were in Raccoon City Zoo, and they had the the zombie elephant <laughs> moving through the entire zoo. Like you couldn't find like a place. It would just follow you. Didn't like it. Crazy. <laughs> Didn't, not a fan. Not a fan. <laughs> um, but all right. Uh, we're on to our number six now. All right, my number six is painted turtle antifreeze. Uh, there's no other, no better way to say this, but so uh, baby painted turtles they hatch in. Uh, painted turtles are like the most common turtles around here, and like the like if you see a turtle outside and it's not a snapping turtle, it's probably a painted turtle. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're in New York or like any of the northern states, um, I think they can. They go as far as, like, um, far west is probably, like, Alberta area. Mm, okay. Yeah. Like, right right before the Rocky Mountains, but, like, they kind of make their way up north into, you know, Canada and to that far west. But, so, they hatch around autumn, which means they have to overwinter, and they, baby painted turtles overwinter differently than um adult painted turtles where okay. adult painted turtles they just go into like a kind of a state of brumation where they they lower all their bodily function like only the necessary bodily function they'll either like burrow themselves in the mud or sometimes you can see them moving underwater on under ice but it's just be- like they've only gone down to the essentials it's not super common but you can see it but for baby painted turtles, they're as soon as the temperature drops, their bot, their it's a cue for their liver to start producing proteins that basically act as an antifreeze in their body. It prevents uh, ice from forming in their cells because that's a big problem with um, when yeah, so when water freezes, you get ice crystals forming, and in a cell, that's dangerous because that can lead to apoptosis, like it can burst a cell, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why cryogenics really isn't a thing for humans, <laughs> because that that's something we need to get around. But for turtles, their livers produce this protein that acts like as a cryoprotectant. It minimizes the size of the ice crystals, or it can control the formation of ice crystals in their body preventing like this cell death from going on and like hmm. they're 
and on the outside too, like they'll produce cryoprotectants that protect the outside of their skin. They'll basically thaw out in the spring. Yeah, so. I have I have another, I have one just like this. Not the same animal, but I have another one that is just like this. But um, so you're telling me that Walt Disney is not frozen. He's not cryogenically frozen. I... <laughs> There's no way. So the mouse, maybe, well, who knows what the mouse has got going on. We'll see. Yeah, you never know. I mean, like, so, like, <laughs> when I worked in a lab, the, what we had to do for, um, we'd make, like, bacteria cultures, and we have to put in, um, I'm only thinking of the, the brief name, uh, DMSO, uh, dimethyl sulfide, I think it is. Okay. And it, it basically acts the same way as these um, proteins in the painted turtles, like it prevents formation of ice crystals and stuff. And that's kind of like, I don't know if it worked for human cells, but... Uh. Interesting. I wonder what it would take to adapt to something like that. Like, what would have to happen? I mean, obviously, it would take a long time. But, like, to put yourself in, they, because they basically put themselves in stasis. Like, their body bodily functions go to minimal, and then they, like, their brains are still active, but their hearts are barely active, and then they have these cryoprotectants <sighs> in their bodies. I don't think humans could ever evolve to that. Well, you never know, but... I, they also have a slower metabolism than us. Okay. Too. So, I mean, that... That's another reason. So, like, plays a part. long-lived animals, they typically have slower metabolisms. It's a more efficient metabolism. Okay. But also their metab like, since they're, you know, uh, air quotes, cold-blooded, their metabolism is based off of their environment around them instead of the metabolic processes within them. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, Dan, you are number six. My number six, I'm going to put um, the owl head turn here is the only way I can describe it. Mm-hmm. Uh, just the fact that it, the the rotation of 270 degrees for your head at times would be so useful for most scenarios. Like when I need, if I would need to see if someone was creeping up on me, first of all, just to be able to turn my head real quick and just have it be behind me would absolutely freak people out. (laughs) Um, But it's just such a cool feature, especially for them being hunters and them being nocturnal too. It suits them so well. That's such a cool thing to be able to add to your repertoire as, as well as how well they can see um, the advantages they have on everything, and you can turn your head in like any direction possible. The the only problem with that is that their eyes can't move. That's that's why yeah. they, they've evolved the ability to move their heads like that. Is because if you look like if you look at an owl skull, like the eye sockets are basically they're it looks like they're you know their eyes would just be stuck in there and they yeah. can't move. Yeah, that's true. And then their ears are really weird. Like they're. One's pointing up and one's pointing down. Yeah, they it's do have really th- weird things in. with their ears. And like, so like, if you look at an owl, you know how some of them have like a disc. Mm-hmm. Like the disc of feathers helps funnel in sound. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah, yeah. I I think they're such uh, cool birds. They, um, they've always fascinated me in a lot of senses. Like any time I've gotten a glimpse of one around here, I always think it's like seeing a unicorn sighting. I yeah, I, I almost had a owl on uh, on mine too. I I'm not sure if Tice, do you have no? Okay, um, 
they got to get like really cool hearing too. Like mm-hmm. where they're like real good hearing. Like they can catch. I think one of the things I read is they can catch like a field mouse like blind at night. Like they yeah. can just hear it from quite a distance away. Um, so it wasn't it wasn't honorable mention on mine because uh, I, I think they're really really cool animals. Yeah, being a horror nerd, I just think the head turn is something that <laughs> I would I would adapt into my personal life if I could. So. <laughs> So that's my number six. All right. Very good. My number six, I'm going to go with uh, Eagle Eye. All right. Eagle Eye. Uh, I just think eagles are just really cool creatures, first and foremost. But um, but their vision uh, is, is insane. Apparently, uh, their eyes take up about half the size of their skull. Um they're very, very like their their eyesight is insane, and they, they're apparently they're stronger about they're about forty eight times stronger than that of an average human. Um, yeah, so and actually they're about the their eyes are about the same as a human eye. Um, just reading through some some different statistics here, um, but yeah, to be able to hit, just have that kind of distance, that kind of range, right? <sighs> Us as adults, you know, we always get the fu- our, our eyes are constantly like being worn down, whether because we're looking at stuff close to our face, um, and we kind of lose that uh, that far sightedness. I remember my my long range vision used to be really good. I can read stuff from a pretty decent distance away. I can't necessarily do that anymore. But man, if I had the eyes of an eagle, um, which I mean, it's a common phrase like, "Man, you have the eyes of an eagle," or mm-hmm. "You have eagle eye." Uh, you know that long range stuff. I'm curious as to how like the distance. Um, oh, okay. Uh, Eagle said to be able to spot a rabbit 3.2 kilometers away, um, which is really really impressive. So, um, so I'd have to go eagle eye. Just have that long range uh, long range vision going on. Awesome. It is pouring out. Right yeah, now. my wife just said it's really bad at Niagara Falls, and oh, uh, no. like, like thunderwise, like it's been pretty crazy. I so. heard there was an advisory in Lewiston. Tonight, oh, really? Like west, like oh, Western God. Niagara County. Gotta love it. I love a good thunderstorm. Oh yeah, me too. <laughs> we needed it. I want to do a weather list someday. <laughs> I'm not a yes. big. I'm not a big Weather Channel kick again. I just got a book. I'm, it'll be my next book that I read, a Weather Channel book, and uh, I just I don't know Weather Channel's fun. Yes. Uh, Tice, we're on to our number five, buddy. What do you got? Uh, my number five is Parthenogenesis, and that's just the fancy way of saying um, yeah, a lot of people call it virgin birth. So it's when a sexual species can produce, reproduce asexually. Okay. Um, this is m- mostly common in, like, insects, um, fish, amphibians, and reptiles. Uh, I, all the examples I can think of are reptiles. Like, so there are two different type, types of parthenogenesis. There's like facultative where it's like you can reproduce sexually and asexually. And this has been noted in like, like when they've had, uh, Komodo dragons in captivity, sometimes they'll just birth a, uh, uh, an offspring without input from a male. That's crazy. Um, and then there is there are species that are just all female. Okay. Like there's a like a really common gecko called the morning gecko. It reproduces parthenogenically and they're all basically clones of each other. And then there's the New Mexican whiptail, which is a all female species, but it's like a hybrid species of two different species of whiptail and that 
kind of circumvents some of the problems with having like the same genetic basis because you're pulling from a wider genome pool like you're pulling from two different species even though you're re- you're reproducing asexually like you're kind of circumventing problems of lack of genetic diversity i would say <laughs> it's hard so, to explain how <laughs> it works too it, no yeah cuz like um a lot of it has to do with how egg cells are made like there're different ways parthenogenesis can occur just based on how uh egg cell generation is okay in these different species so interesting yeah. i'm just thanking god that humans can't do that because like some of the people that would just be like hey i'm going to pop out a kid real quick hey i'm pregnant yeah <laughs> I, I don't know if it's, I mean, for some, like for the New Mexican whiptail, they um, they can kind of induce it by, um, even though they're all female, they'll engage in like courtship behavior that can, they think can induce it. Yeah. Even though they don't, you know, reproduce sexually. Um, for like the, the facultative ones that can produce, you know, either sexually or asexually, like with parthenogenesis. I'm not sure how it works, if it's a, something that can be induced or not based on environmental factors, but, yeah. Now, again, I know it's a movie. Um, Jurassic Park. They don't go with parthenogenesis. They say they can they change, can change they, sex. They, they okay. can change sex, but even though the parthenogenesis makes a lot more sense because it's something that it's it would be plausible for dinosaurs i mean well even though i i know the whole thing with them changing sexes like we took uh, their bits me- missing in their genome so we filled it in with like frog dna and the frog dna is what contributed to that but it's like you know you you'd think they'd use more like uh yeah. <laughs> <sighs> so much science i love it i love it very good, my friend. Dan, you're number five, bud. This is where my camouflage one is going to come in. And I think there are a lot of cool examples of it in nature. But I really, really, really appreciate the ones where they blend so well that it's almost impossible to see within the environment. Okay. Um, what I'm going to use specifically for this one um, is a little species of frog called the Vietnamese uh, mossy frog. Yep. Which, yep. Yeah, yeah. It's it's so amazing how well this thing can blend mm-hmm. into environments. It's it's impossible to even describe the green and black colors within oh. it. Yes, exactly. It looks exactly like a patch of moss. So if this thing's on a tree branch or in a lake or something like that, that is the perfect coloring for camouflage for a frog in almost any environment. I think it's unbelievable how well that could blend into mm-hmm. the naked eye. Um, I almost would love to have, you know, like those picture books we grew up, like the fine, they, like the Where's mm-hmm. Waldo's and everything like that. I would love to have a nature one where it's just like looking for specific things like that. Like, oh, it's here. Like, take a look. Um, yeah, I is, camouflage specific ones are so cool. And that's a cool example of it for me. Yeah, that is really, really neat. I have a camo one to follow up, um, but this thing is... Oh. That is really neat. Yeah. I know. I just, I love scrolling through pictures of <laughs> of it in different environments being like, oh, there it is. It's there like it is. it's covered in warts. and uh, It looks like it's covered in warts, but it kind of 
horny. <laughs> it's got a lot of horns on it. I'm meaning. Yes. Um, that is cool. Oh, man. Evolution is sweet. Um, all right. I, I'm going to follow up with the chameleon uh, with the color change ability. Uh, it's, it's cool. Yeah. You know what I mean? It just, <laughs> it just changed colors to whatever, exactly whatever, you know, environment it's a part of. Um, chameleon, you know, the ability to be a chameleon has, has been one of those, another pop culture thing that people um, have fascinated about to just be able to change colors and at, at a whim. And uh, it's it's really smart. Uh, I guess if you're not like an aggressive, you know, animal, it's like you, you don't see a chameleon being like at the top of any any food chain. Right. No, no. But they're very intelligent creatures. Obviously, they've been gifted the ability to excuse me, shift. Uh, hold that. Okay, um, to be able to shift their coloring, like just just high intelligent creatures, mm. um, to be able to know when to do that. So uh, I've actually never seen. I don't think I've ever seen the process in like uh, in real life. Obviously, again, cartoons and, and stuff like that. But um, but some of them are. Uh, it's you know you always just kind of see them as they're green. Yeah, they're yeah. Yeah, uh, true chameleons are only found in Madagascar. So is that what it is? Yeah, okay. like um, they're. False chameleons in like uh, uh, like Cuba, like the Cuban night anole, they call it. Uh, the, the anoles are like the like if you ever go to Florida, they're the little green lizards. Yeah, yeah everywhere. Yeah. Um, they're considered like false chameleons, but like true chameleons, like the ones with the independently moving eyes and the ones that can change color from Madagascar. And I would say that. Part of the reason they're, they have these kind of incredible adaptations is because they're from an island, and you know, being having being isolated allows things like that to, you know, you're you're better able to specialize, I guess you could say, since you're confined to a certain environment or like even just different levels of like like tree canopy or stuff, you'll find different species of chameleon. So, man, it's such a cool little animal. So Madagascar is where they're, they're mm-hmm. that's the, where the true ones are. Yeah. Okay. Road trip. I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> is it all like jungle? Is there like a, I don't know. I, I, I watched the movie and all I think of is it's just one like giant. I can't. I, I mean, that's where lemurs are found. Yeah, there's, there's a lot there's of only lemurs are found there. Yeah. Okay. A lot of cool exotic stuff and, that I'm sure. Specific. I'm sure. All right. Very good. We're on to our number four. Tice, what you got for us? Uh, I'll just I, I you I could you could call it hollow bones, but it's uh, it's a little more a little more than that because so in birds this you know it reduces the weight of you know it's what allows them to, one of the things that allows them to fly because if you're you have these lighter bones it's easier to get lift and things like that. Uh, it also contributes to their uh respiration because the the hollow bone the bone the air spaces in the bones are connected like air sacs and uh it's so that that's kind of what makes them uh it influences their metabolism stuff uh so but i put it more here because this is the reason why or one of the reasons why dinosaurs were able to grow so big yeah because um 
if you look at sauropods, so like um, brontosaur kind of dinosaurs, um, in their vertebral column, they display these uh, air spaces and they kind of think that's what's that, you know, allowed for a reduction in weight. And that's kind of what allowed them to grow so large and allowed their necks to grow so long. And it's the same thing for, like, theropods like Tyrannosaurus. Like, they find these air spaces and air sacs. So it's another reason why they think dinosaurs were, um, you know, warm-blooded, for lack of a better term, is because they had these air sacs like birds. Man. Yeah, there's a couple... Uh, I was looking at uh, some birds, and they mentioned the hollow, the hollow bone thing. So mm-hmm. it probably reduces their 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 body weight considerably. Then, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's well, it's one of the reasons why they can fly. They can grow large and still be able to fly. Like, um, I when you look at so like with bats, they're even though they have mega bats, they don't get super big. Um, they still, I mean, bats are still pretty small, and they have like a, they don't have the hollow bone, so it's it's a little different with how powered flight works for them. They have a higher metabolism, um, so they have to consume more. Like they consume almost their body weight in insects every night. Wow! So, yeah, that is cool. Yeah, it's that's a, that's one I didn't realize was a, was a thing until researching this was the hollow bone. Mm-hmm. Um, hollow bone deal so very good very good i know number four dan this is very basic but i just think um jumping off words too i think another really uh great appendage that water-based birds have is just the web feet in general we mimic it all the time with certain things that we do as far as swimming and and those directional things but those built-in paddles, um, especially with ducks, I love watching uh, ducks either in the canal or in rivers, just like swimming around and doing their thing. And they can navigate so well and seamlessly just paddling. And it's such a nice feature to be able to use when they lift off of the water, too. Yeah. They get a nice little, like, push, no, like, flow-through resistance. You just, boom, and there they go, and they're out of the water. Um and just being someone like you who's always kind of like water and different things like that, I've always found that so interesting that certain animals just have that feature to be able to swim just a little bit better with. Um, so, yeah, and not much more of an explanation other than that, unfortunately, but I love the web feet uh, look, and I think it's such a cool thing uh, feature-wise to help birds specifically hunt. I love watching it with ducks. It is actually I was just thinking about this today too. Are ducks not like the best animal? They can fly, they can swim, they can walk. They're awesome. What more could you want? Is there another creature like really like like that? And like as cute. Like uh, it's still cute. Like, like right? It's it's a very unique animal. Yeah, I mean, do you know about I mean I didn't put this on here, but do you know about duck penises? <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah, I do no. know about that. Please explain. And so not like, just for my sake, but for the listener. So they have um ducks are one of the few birds to have penises, and with ducks they have this kind of crazy corkscrew penis. <laughs> like it it's it sh- it basically kind of shoots out of their cloaca, and it's 
pretty long, but that's because um, the female uh, genitalia is also in the corkscrew pattern. Yeah. Because yeah. what it, kind of evolutionary adaptation is that? Um, I don't know. It's very unique. Didn't make my list. So like, uh, it's to so it's more of it's like a reproductive isolation kind of thing okay. where, um, so some male ducks have some species of male ducks they have like little barbs on their penis to s- scoop out the. Uh, genetic material of other ducks from uh yeah female genitalia and uh female ducks sometimes have like false uh pouches in their uh like uterus so like instead of you know yeah i i Dude, ducks might be the greatest animal of all time. literally and they fall off every mating season yeah oh and they re- and they regrow? Yeah. Oh, my God. I love ducks. <laughs> I fucking love ducks. Yeah, Part of my French. <laughs> they are the, They're the best. They're the best. They really are. Like, Daffy Duck just went out, like, ten points in my pop culture yeah. characters list. They're a really cool animal. Good for ducks. All right. Uh, Dan, what do you got for number four? That was, that that was, was your number four. I'm sorry. I'm we so got distracted by the by penises. By the duck penis. It got me. My apologies. Um... Jesus. Okay. I'm going to go with this. This is a cool one I, I never really thought of before until Jurassic World, the first one. But it's it's teeth that are based on diet. Um, so they were talking about engineering that, uh, that, that, that like raptor T-Rex hybrid dinosaur. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, you want bigger things, bigger teeth. Uh, it comes with the necessary. Um, what are the? I, I can't remember the phrasing of it, but features. Mm-hmm. And then I w- it, it dawned on me that that that's a specific carnivorous teeth trait. Sharks, straight, just jagged teeth for meat eating. Correct? Like they don't have too many. Mm-hmm. Of the yeah, they really don't have any. Um, teeth and then we're omnivores so we kind of get a little bit of both Mm -hmm. but it's it's fascinating that now do our diets dictate the teeth or does our teeth dictate the diet i mean so with um the the this condition of where having like either one type of tooth or different types of teeth like it's like homodont for one type of tooth heterodont for multiple types of teeth um it's it's hard to say because if you look at a panda, it has, you know, I mean, they don't all, it, it, they're heterodont teeth, but it's more so for carnivorous lifestyle, but they subsist only on bamboo. Right. So what you can say is that they, at some point, the shared ancestor had this uh, heterodont condition primarily for, you know, uh, a carnivorous lifestyle. And at some point that lineage spread to where you have bears that subsist on meat and, you know, plant matter. And then you have pandas that subsist only on bamboo. Hmm. So it's, it's kind of hard to say because with adaptations, it's, it's not the, 
it's not the animal responding to the environment. It's the so you have mutations, and then the mutations generate these variations, and based on the environment, the environment sorts out the variations right. for what is best suitable for that environment. So it, it's hard to say because it, it's really it's. I I don't know if I could explain. No, I mean again, I I just I I'm asking it probably, you know. I, Again, you are the wisest one out of all of us here yes. when it comes to this stuff. So I, I'm just putting it out there. Yeah. The fact that you're even attempting to answer it, I appreciate the most. Because with pandas, too, they you know how you see like pandas can grab stuff? Yeah. And they kind of have like a thumb? Yeah. It's not really a thumb. It's like a... It's part of their wrist bone that kind of grew out to serve the function as a thumb. And it's kind of, it's a it's an example of like a developmental constraint. So like one of the reasons why you don't see animals with or like vertebrates with more than four limbs is because our on a genetic level the the body plan is pretty set to two four limbs, two high limbs, and that's it. Or like you know five five digits on each hand kind of thing. And with with bears, it's pretty set into that where it's like, okay, you have these this number of digits. And then, but like a mutation occurred to where it made this kind of like false thumb in the panda. And based on, you know, selective pressures, it allowed that uh, phenotype to... Uh, you know, multiply throughout right. a population. Sure. Is that in making sense? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, very much. No, they, yeah, it's 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 really fascinating. I, I'm very curious, The and obviously I don't know, you know, who could answer or if it can be answered, but the history of that. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about teeth, too, another, like, really fascinating subject on teeth are whale teeth, because, like, you do have the... Uh, whales with like regular teeth and then you have the baleen yeah where it's like they're the filter feeder so it's like they have plates of teeth but then they're covered with like this hairy little substance that kind of acts as like a a filter so like they'll suck in a bunch of water and then they push out the water and whatever's yeah Yeah, like a strainer like a pasta strainer in a sense yeah and it's the same it's 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 derived from the same kind of teeth that all vertebrates have. It's just this super specialized version of those teeth. So cool. Man. I'm loving this. We are on to our top three. All right. Tice, what you got for us? Uh, my number three is abyssal gigantism. It's just a fancy way of saying uh, there's a tendency for deep sea animals to grow substantially larger than their shallow water counterparts. Okay. So this is, uh, we were talking about earlier about like deep sea stuff and all that. Like 60% of the globe is, you know, deep sea and it's considered like the largest ecosystem on the earth and we don't know a ton about it. And the abyss is considered 4,000 to 6,000 meters below the sea. Okay. And... You don't, so you don't get light down, light can't travel that far down, 
and the main food source is detritus from higher levels. They call it like uh, it's some it's like organics or like marine snow or something, and it's just like detritus and bits of other animals that have fallen down. But so one of the reasons why they think they're able to grow so large is because one you're there's a higher level of dissolved oxygen at that depth okay. because of, uh, like in colder waters, you get more dissolved oxygen. And when you get that down that deep, waters are super cold. Um, and I'm trying to think of how I... It's a more efficient way of being when you're down there. Like, mm. as larger animals are more they tend to be more efficient like they lose less energy to heat and things and they have a slower metabolism so they can they can grow large and you know better use utilize energy than uh smaller animals that have a higher metabolism so they can go long periods without feeding and that's a thing that can happen in the deep sea is like you're going to go a long time without eating and you can cover greater distances when you're larger um and you also have like a lack of predation so it's kind of like the island principle of like when you think about the galapagos islands where you have the giant tortoises like one of the reasons why they were able to grow so big is because you know they lacked predators yeah Mm. so like that's a one of the reasons why they think things are able to grow so large down there that makes sense and it's mostly like invertebrates and stuff so you don't have the some like there's some vertebrates like sharks that can grow large down like greenland sharks are deep sea yes sharks and they can grow large but um i'm like giant squids and stuff those are like abyssal giants yeah, it's like I said. Who knows what's down there? But you know, right? There's. I mean, obviously, a lot of the whales are. You know, can go a lot, travel, traverse a lot deeper. Uh, yeah, like sperm whales can travel. They don't. I don't think they can go that deep, but they can go. They can pretty much touch the abyss. Yeah, for lack of a better word, and that's why you see within like the gut contents of sperm whales, they have like giant squids and stuff in. Them. <laughs> Wow. That's insane. And giant squids are pretty creepy, too. Yeah. Yeah. Real creepy. They were looking at a video around some pipeline, and it was just, just standing there looking all alien, like, gross. Well, that's where you have, like, the giant spider crabs and stuff, too. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then um, there was an expedition down. I can't remember the name of it. But when they were down there, they saw something, and it wasn't anything identifiable. Like a species that they didn't, they had no uh, idea. No idea. I'll have to look it up. It was um, Jacques uh, Jacques Cousteau. You know the famous marine biologist. Yeah. Yes. I'll have to look it up because okay. it, it's like it's considered a cryptid, even though it's something you know they they saw. Yeah, there. cryptids are the ones that they haven't officially yeah. named. So interesting. All right. Yeah. Uh, when you get that up, let us know. Yeah. Um, Dan, you're number three, bud. I feel so, like, basic following Tice. Can I just throw that out there? Because he's giving all sorts of things. Usually the the, 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 uh, the second host 
he just that's what he does. He but. just like gets so deep and so like he's giving all these facts about it, and I'm about to be like, I like giraffe tongues. I think those are really cool. Um, no, but that 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 is my next one. I'm totally kidding. Um, yeah, I think. The big, the long neck of a giraffe, I think, has always been such a unique and one of the most commonly seen features out there. But the one that's not talked about a lot is the giant tongue that they have associated with it. Because, of course, there needs to be one. It's a giant animal that doesn't have any arms. How is it going to reach food totally properly? Oh, let's give it a little bit more of an advantage so it can reach out and grab trees even easier than it probably could already. Giraffes are just such lovable animals. They're so dopey walking around, like, just doing their own things. I love them. When They're... you see them get in fights with each other, I think it's hilarious because they use their heads as sledgehammers because of their horns. Yeah. So they just, like, smack each other with their heads a little bit. And it's the funniest thing you'll ever see in your entire life. Right, because, like, they, they have no other way to fight each other but that. Uh, but the 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 tongue thing is so unique to me, especially because of how purple it is. It's such a weird like looking one too. Uh, but it's built so well for what it does, and that's I think that's kind of a theme on this list. Is, is like a lot of the appendages go really really well for the purpose it serves yes. the animal. And I think for giraffes, it's just perfectly built that way. I, yeah, I had a really cool experience with a draft. I almost said draft with a giraffe uh, on doing that Disney World Kil- Kilimanjaro yeah. Safari, where you're you're driving through and it, it that was the closest I've ever been to any animal there. Is it walked right up and like peeked its head through, and it, it, and this thing's massive. It's like so it's cool. it's really hard to fathom stuff that big because we don't. There's really not a whole lot of no, there's really not animals uh, comparatively tall as that, if I'm not mistaken. Correct? I think the giraffe has got to be the tallest um, land animal. Yeah, I think, um, I think so. It's really, like, mind-blowing to think of a living creature just, especially big, peaceful, just kind of doing that. And plus, you know, Toys R Us. Yeah, exactly. R.I.P. Jeffrey. Jeffries. Jeffrey. Jeffrey. So I you found it? Yeah, I found it. It's the Deep Star 4000 submarine. Okay. So they saw a. it was off the coast of Southern California, and it was seen by the crew, but they don't know what it was. Um, let me see if I can find. Like, they have a sketch of it, and it's bigger than the sub. <laughs> It's it's more than five meters. Like oh it's, it's shit, like I just 10, seen it. Yeah, it has its. Uh, oh, it's like a crypto cryptodarchives dot fandom. Yeah, so it's I mean, massive. I mean, it's not entirely um, out of the question based on how little we know about the deep sea and how how big things can get down there. Mm-hmm. Twenty five to forty feet estimated, and they found it in nineteen sixty seven. Yeah, that's cool. That's really cool. All right. Very good. Very good. Um, my number three, I'm going to go with the uh, the camel hump, all right, where they store water. Excellent. It's, it's, it's fat. It's not water. It's what? It, it, they store fat and, instead of water, yeah. I was lied to? <laughs> well, Damn. But it's still, it's still a part of, you know, why they can 
lasts as, lasts as long, yeah. yeah. Okay. But, the, yeah, they, the, right, they can go quite a while without a yeah. drink of water. Um, but it is a unique feature, right, being out in the desert. Um, thanks for correcting me so That's I don't okay. sound like an idiot. Um, you know, it just, I mean, who wants to live in the desert? But that's kind of your thing. Um, and this, having this obnoxious hump on your back is, you know, you see people complain about humps all the time, hunchbacks, uh, <laughs> hunchback folk all the time. With love, they don't like it, but it, it serves no benefit to them except making them walk funny. Um, I apologize for anybody who has a hump on all their the back. All the hunchbacks listening to our like, show oh, right now. I'm done. <laughs> I'm done. I'm never listening to the show again. Um <laughs> But it is a, it is a really neat feature, you know. To, to have to, to <laughs> I hate myself. Uh, <laughs> I'm just thinking of them taking their headphones off, trying to put it back on the shelf. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to hell. He got me. Uh, yeah, I roasted him, and they didn't even know it. Um, yeah, so I, I think it's a pretty unique function. Camels are a cool animal. They're popularizing a lot of uh, uh, desert themed shows, movies. Um, as being something to ride, you know, kind of ride on. Um, I feel like I've seen them at zoos. At yeah, they have, they have them around at certain things, I, I feel like. I'm pretty sure the Erie County Fair had some, a couple, they had like camel rides a couple years ago. I'm not sure why, but, um, which I think is wrong as it is. But, uh, but yeah, I'm going to go with the camel fat hump that helps them store water. <laughs> Uh, it's less so it's less store water it's more of a like reserve for when food is scarce but right. I, get, I get you know fat can absorb water yeah it's water so, soluble yeah, yeah. right I think well uh, fats are hydrophobic but oh, okay. yeah I mean still you can have I'm trying to think of what yeah it's more yeah you can destroy scarce. my entire sorry like no seriously I, I want to learn so I, right. I, yeah I'm pretty sure it's it's more of like a long term long haul storage kind of thing for, you know, caloric storage than um water storage. So. Okay. But still it lets them lat outlast, you know, these harsh environments with, you know, going without food for such a long time. Right. Now, pretty neat, pretty neat. So, all right, we're on to our top 2 now. Okay. What so, do you got? my number 2 is uh I I was debating on what to call this. I was either calling it orca culture or orca hunting. Um, but so the way uh, orca whales, uh, they, they, have, they have special hunting tacket, tactics for different types of prey. So like for seals, they will have coordinated t- attacks where they will make waves. And like if a seal is on like a floating piece of ice, the pod will make a wave to force the seal like to flip the seal off of the ice or to wash the seal off the ice. Oh. And for they they hunt great white sharks and the way they do it is um they'll chase them down in packs and they will ram them in the side and it like stuns the shark. And once they're stunned, the orcas will flip over the shark and they'll hold it upside down and it basically drowns the shark. And they don't eat the entire shark. All they do is they will eat the liver alone, and they take it out with like it's it's almost like surgical precision that they can take it out. Huh. And um, what was the other one? 
Yeah, so like sharks will be a like if they survive an encounter with an orca, they'll flee their hunting grounds and they won't come back for up to a year. <laughs> and really? they're able to do this because they have such a complex language for lack of a better term, like every pod has their own distinct dialect. Um when calves are born, they babble like babies and they learn they learn the language of the pod. So that's one of the reasons why they're able to coordinate hunts like con- like in such a complex way as they can because they can speak to each other. It's such a fascinating thing. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've seen uh, a lot of programs on orcas and stuff, specifically because of how fascinated everybody yeah. is with them. But that mentality, like the pack mentality they have, they're like the wolves of the sea. It's they're crazy. They're matrilineal too, so they're uh, they follow an old, like an older female. The pod follows an older female. Yeah, as oh. they're like a mate. They have a matriarch. Yeah, kind of like a queen bee in a yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, um, that is cool. Yeah, because the the pack hunter things you, you kind of see it, but for uh, I didn't think orcas are. Or that complex. You wouldn't think a giant orca would need like a pack, but it kind of makes sense. Yeah, they're mammals, so yeah. they, I mean, they're mammalian predisposition towards sociality. You know. Yeah. Very cool. Number two, Dan. My number two is um, a basic one, but I'm gonna judge it a little bit and talk kind of specifically about it. Obviously, wings, as far as like an evolutionary feature, are incredible. But I'm gonna do. A very specific wing set with this, and I'm going to go with um, that of the Wandering Albatross. Wandering Albatross. Which, so... Okay. The, they can glide for hours upon hours. Like, yeah. hours. So, um, there's a claim, there's no way to verify the claim, but there was a claim by, um, I think, a, uh, a naval ship or something that caught one that said there was a wingspan on it of um, 11 feet, 11 inches. Um, it, it, there's no way to verify that, obviously, but that gives you an idea of how large the wingspan of these condors were. I was considering for this list because between the weight and the wingspan, they're super, super deadly because of that. But it's for the reason Ty said, like the glide aspect mm-hmm. they have. They're known for being, uh, you know, mostly around water and in southern seas, so they have to travel good distances a lot of time, and they can just go like they are built for flying if they don't have to hit land for a while Mm -hmm. like they can just go for a while um really good like as i was saying with um some fish that like hunt aquatically too they're the perfectly uh built bird for that they're really really cool i would love to see one in real life because i I anytime I've seen like a big bird around here, like a heron or uh, like a Herons hawk cool, or something yeah. like that, mm-hmm. I'm always so fascinated with how long the actual because you you hear about it, but until you actually see it, that's something. Yeah. And can you imagine a bird's wings that are eleven and a half feet? That wingspan is insane. It's like a basketball player. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. More than that. Yeah. yeah. Like LeBron would be like looking up. At, uh, like, it's crazy. It's crazy, crazy, crazy to think about. So, um, wings are on there, but specifically, oh, I meant large. like a, a basketball player's wings. Oh, yes, fan. yes, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. incredible. Yeah, man. 
And so um, that that's on my list specifically because of the enormity of the wingspan okay. that they have. Very good. Very good. I do have wings in my top two, but not this one. Um, my number two, I'm going to go with, you mentioned it earlier, it's the antifreeze um, within mm-hmm. fish. I always wondered growing up, like, this is a this is more of an Antarctic fish. Uh, I didn't get any specific fish. Oh, you did that. You had the turtle, the painted turtle. Mm-hmm. Um, Antarctic fish. I guess there's a couple different species, quite a few different species that have antifreeze, like an antifreeze feature. Um, basically, proteins, what you described, yeah. proteins that it, with ice crystals and and they and they're good to go. Because um, I always wondered, I'm like, what happens to fish when the water? freezes uh you know i get kind of sucked being frozen there i've seen like ones like uh, people like uh going like deep sea, not deep sea fishing but going ice fishing mm-hmm. and there's like half a fish sticking out of the water yeah like and it's the weirdest thing but like what does that fish do is it dead is it like it's deceased some of them actually have this feature where they're 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 okay after mm-hmm. the thaw happens but you said they're still conscious right is it like a hibernation yeah thing? it's like um uh, func- basic functions are down to a minimum kind of thing. The metabolism deal, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. So I found that really cool um, that they can kind of survive in, in, in those conditions because it's something I've always wondered um, wondered about. Like, oh, being a fish is cool, but being stuck frozen for where, you know, however <laughs> length of time, um, and especially up in the, I think, uh, the fish I was looking at, you know, Antarctic is is South Pole. Um, it's cold all the time, so you're just kind of used to it, right? So, um, so that is my number two. Excellent, uh, Tice. Your number one, my man. Uh, my number one's. Uh, I said I have basic one. This is my basic one. It's the turtle shell, um, just because it's uh, it's a really interesting. Uh, feature from an evolutionary standpoint, just because it's a, uh, it's the rib cage, but it's it's a modified rib cage. Yeah. So, like, if uh, the best way I can describe it is, imagine if your rib cage, if your if your pectoral girdle and your pelvic girdle, so like your your pelvis and like your shoulders, were inside your rib cage. That's what a turtle's. Uh, <laughs> body plan is like um and it's it's really neat how diverse the the shell can be because like if you look at box turtles they have a special hinge on their shell that allows them to completely close up their shell um and then with snapping turtles they're so like turtle shell has two parts the top parts the carapace and the bottom parts the plastron with uh, so box turtles have like a little hinge on their plastron that allows them to close up uh with snapping turtles that plastron is like reduced greatly to where it's it's almost like it, it's like a cross basically instead of just a full plate on their uh underside yeah mm-hmm. and it's kind of hypothesized that's what like if you ever seen a snapping turtle walk it walks a lot different than a um a regular turtle because it can like lift itself up and kind of walks like a monitor lizard or a crocodile. Uh, so it's a lot more mobile, but having this reduced uh, underbelly, it's, um, it's 
hypothesize that's why they have such a aggressive uh, defensive response in terms of like the snap and I don't know if you, if you've ever seen a snapping turtle have its neck entirely extended it's long mm-hmm. so yeah. like they they think that's like you know it's a a trade off for lack of a better term okay you know having a reduced plastron but a more aggressive um defensive response and having you know a a longer neck kind of thing you know having that kind of speed to where you can shoot your neck out and snap really quick kind of thing impact of that knocked the mic (laughs) (laughs) and then like there there are different so like another kind of neat turtle shell is the pancake tortoise it's a african tortoise where it's literally what it sounds like it's its shell is flat and it's flat so it can fit into like little rock crevices and the other interesting thing about it is that it's shell is softer, more pliable than a regular turtle shell. That's because um, when it gets in the crevice, it can, like, expand itself to make it, like, stick in there so predators can't, like, pull it out and stuff. Okay. And the turtle shell kind of makes things complicated in terms of their respiration since they're, since for all other turtles, they, they can't expand their rib cage because it's fused like that, uh, their lungs function differently. Like it's it's based on muscle power and to you know pump the lungs instead of. Whereas we can like if you breathe if you breathe in your rib cage expands and then it decreases in size because you know there's cartilage in your rib cage. Whereas in turtles, it's not like like there's just so many different things <laughs> that had to change to make the turtle shell it is and yeah i always wondered too like if it grew with the turtle i was always oh, yeah, like, like and obviously it does they're, but they're scoots the the keratinous plates on the outside of the shell they can shed right because they're basically it's so the cool. same you know dermal origin as like scales on a, another reptile or like um Crocodilians have scoots too, but it's not in the same. It's it's kind of the same as turtles, but it's different. Right. Yeah. All right. Because there's a couple animals that they do the shells, but they they replace them. They'll switch out. Like right. Don't hermit crabs? I think do something yeah, like that. Yeah. Well, like with so with turtles, they're like a great um. They're great at like showing the concept of homology. Mm. And homology is basically uh, a turtle shell is homologous to a rib cage in humans, which means they share the same uh, evolutionary. They come from the same evolutionary origin. They have the same developmental origin, but they're diverged differently. You know, so like uh, it's same thing. Like a, a better example is like uh, the forelimbs of animals. Like uh, a whale's fin is homologous to a, a hand in a human. A uh, bat's wing is homolog like you know it's homologous to you know a paw kind of thing. Like okay. it's it's it comes from the same kind of place. If that makes that, no, sense. that makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah, that's a cool one. I wasn't expecting that one, but yeah, turtles are fascinating, and I'm glad I learned finally that they uh, they do grow with the turtle. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I do grow with the turtles. So, excellent choice, my man. Uh, Dan, you're number one, buddy. Uh, so, I am going to um, one of my favorite animals on the entire planet for this one. Um, I've talked about my experiences in the past with like lemurs and monkeys and yes. loving those kinds of different species. I may, I'm going to introduce you to one that you may or may not have heard of. Um, we are going back to the island of Madagascar for this one. Um, it is the um, largest uh, nocturnal uh, predator in the world, and it is the I.I., if you've ever heard mm-hmm. of this before. So I was How first— How is it spelled? I'm sorry. A-Y-E-A-Y-E. Um, so I was first exposed to these creatures oh, um, cool. from— um, the shows of Boomafu back mm-hmm. in the day because they highlighted them on there. And I think they're one of the most fascinating animals on the freaking planet. Um, first of all, just lemurs in general um, are so cool to me, like the, the, the entire lifestyle that they have. Um, but you'll notice their fingers mm-hmm. in particular are insanely long. In fact, they make up like 40% of their forearm. In general, like they just have these extremely long fingers. The middle is the longest of them all. They hunt a lot of insects and things like that. So they use that appendage and they actually have a ball and socket joint on their finger that they can like kind of switch how the joint is moved so they can really dig in. And they also eat their own boogers a lot. So they use that finger the same way to just pick out the mucus and, like, just be eating it like that. It's huh. it's nasty. However, my favorite thing about them is a discovery that was only made a few years ago in 2020, officially published. And that is the fact that they have a sixth finger that's on their forearm. They've kind of evolved a little thumb appendage on their wrist that helps them like grabbing onto smaller things or smaller branches and just gives them a little extra like umph there. And they are so, the IIs are so well equipped for hanging in trees and like, and being in uh, forests and those environments like that. And that just adds a step to it. Like their ears, if you look into the way they hear, um, the layers of their ears are just unbelievable and they tap to communicate too, a lot of the time okay. they'll tap on tree branches to send signals to other IIs that are in the animal. Uh, they are endangered, unfortunately, so they're less and less in the wild. Uh, but IIs are so cool for so many reasons, and I think the extra finger, especially because of how recent it is, is such a cool thing. Yeah. So um, that lands at my number one. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I, I, I was like. I feel like I may have heard of this before, but um, that's neat. I'm especially a big fan of the elongated middle finger. They're cool as hell. I could honestly do a deep dive on animals in Madagascar forever. Yeah? They have such a unique environment as far as between between them and the Galapagos Islands as well. Like, I could do documentaries on both of them all Mm. day, every day. That is neat. Excellent choice for number one, buddy. Thank you, sir. Um... My number one is, I told you I'm going to go with the wings department, but I am, I'm fascinated by the uh, hummingbird wings um, and how fast they move. Being a photography guy, uh, I love when people can, you know, seeing some of these things, trying to get a good picture of it It is so challenging. You have to have like the top of the line camera to just even catch it like perfectly still like mm-hmm. w- w- when in flight it's um 
it's it's a wonderful it's a wonderful bird. Uh, I was looking up um, the the giant hummingbird about ten to fifteen times per second. Uh, it's flapping its wings, but the fastest ever recorded was a uh, was an amethyst um, wood star hummingbird. It hit about eighty beats per second. Wow, that's like I can't even fathom that. Cannot even fathom that. Uh, and I was very curious too, because obviously hummingbirds, they you know they like the uh, it's like that sugar water stuff. They they got the mm-hmm. spe- people have the hummingbird plants. Uh, or uh, little setups where they could stick their beak into, and they're, right, it's a little bit of elongated mm-hmm. beak too. And I was like, man, I'm curious as to how many calories these things take. I looked it up, rough estimate, sixteen hundred calories in a day. All right, and it, it who knows, it could be more, could be more. Um, as somebody who's cutting weight and is probably about fifty times the size, oh, maybe that's generous, but. Um, Way bigger than a hummingbird. I eat about 1,800 calories a day, okay? This little thing, 1,600 to keep its body kind of going. Mm-hmm. So I, I never understood why, like, it was like, you know, people held the, these special um, feeders for them. But it makes sense because, they, again, they're burning through mm-hmm. so much mm-hmm. and just flapping so fast. Um, keeps them, you know, afloat. Uh, keeps them out of the, you know, they're, they're very fast navigators, obviously. I uh, can escape prey and uh or escape sorry predators so um so yeah i I thought that would be a, a fun one for number one because uh, it is it's a really it's a really unique animal uh in that regard i don't think anything bird any other bird remotely comes close to that um flapping the wings wide so yeah. so there it is number one we did it top Excellent ten list. tice great job on this yeah, list thank you. i'm glad uh we got to get it going. Uh, you know, obviously, by now that you are more than welcome back anytime. So if you got an idea for a list, just send it our way, and we'll book you on as soon as we can. And so. please, more lists like this, too, because it gets my brain moving. <laughs> yeah. Like, it re- it really, like, forces me to, yeah. like, be thinking about stuff. I love doing stuff like this. Yeah, I do, too. Especially me, just school, like, it wasn't cool to like school in high school. And I was, unfortunately, a, a follower of the pack where... Now I'm regretting so much, missing out on so much stuff mm-hmm. in high school. Just, just, I mean, education period. Like, I, 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 I'm mad at myself for kind of just avoiding, like, just uh, losers. Yeah. And now here I am, um, 14 years later, and I, I regret like treating it that way. I should have been a little bit more, you know, absorbent to it. But, um, but it is what it is. I'm glad you know that I get to soak in this stuff. So yes, more thought provoking. Um, list is what I like to see. So thank you, Tice, for that. I yeah, very much appreciate it. Uh, next week, Dan gets choice. I'm not sure if we have a guest lined up or not. I'm looking into a couple different people. So cool. um, we should have somebody. I'm just not exactly sure who yet. And I, that's probably going to determine the topic of what we do. Excellent. Two weeks, uh, our good friend Rich Maranto, um, the leader over at our uh, at Emerge Media Creators Co-op, um, he'll be coming into our studio. He's going to return. Um, and I think, Dan, you go on vacation the day after we record that. Yes, so, yeah, um, so we got that going on. So that's the next two weeks since we got Slater. We're also looking into uh, uh, about a month from now into our friend 
Uh, Figgy that we mentioned, Steve uh, Cheeseman mentioned, uh, we, we discussed him uh, bringing him on for another video game episode in uh, mid to late August. So um, a lot of fun stuff coming up. We appreciate you always uh, for giving us the time of day. You know, we got a lot of listeners out there giving us great feedback. We appreciate the listenership. Um, so in closing, on behalf of Tice, Dan, and I, do you even list? Discovery Channel. Yeah, the morning now.